Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. In the end of it all, it's not like God's like, well, you know, you didn't really believe in me. You rejected me, flat out rejected me many times. But, you know, I just, I'm feeling generous today. I'm going to let you in. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. If that's how it worked, then Jesus is a liar. And then I have issues with that because Jesus is not a liar. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me, but through me. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I'm the door. That means that there is one way to heaven and it's through Jesus. Have you noticed that today people are trying to get into heaven every which way except through Jesus? Many folks think that they can find a back door into heaven. But today, Pastor James reminds us that Jesus declared that he is exclusively the only way to heaven. There's no back door into heaven. We don't get to tell God how he should act. We don't have the authority to make a new pathway that leads us to heaven. Let's submit ourselves to the one who died for us and made it possible for us to get there. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You might be disgraced, quote unquote, by the world or something, but you're not disgraced in his eyes. And his eyes are the only ones that matter. Never disgraced. Never disgraced. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Okay? In your low moments in this life, and they will come. Just hold on to that. Just remind yourself, man, Lord, just help me to see how you see me. Remind me of how you see me. Remind me of how you see me. Verse 7, it says, Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him. So here's a compare and contrast kind of a thing. Uh, Because there are, here's reality. There are people in this planet, on this, this world or throughout world history that will choose Jesus and receive that free gift of salvation. And there are others who will choose not to follow Jesus and not to believe in him. I mean, that's just how it is. And then somehow and all of that, that stuff, the Lord, well, of course, God, because he's God, he already knows who's going to pick him and who's not going to pick him and all that good stuff. Nothing is a mystery to God. But there are some who will just reject Jesus. And for those, those who we trust him, recognize that God has given him honor or the honor that God has given to him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Here's this most important piece of all the puzzle. And there were individuals who are like, no, we don't, we don't think that 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 should be the cornerstone. Or they just completely overlook him. And there's a story from the Old Testament of when they were building a temple and then they had forgotten about the cornerstone. And they're like, what happened to the cornerstone? The most important part of the building, we've forgotten about this. This kind of references towards that a little bit where people will ultimately trust in him or deny him, reject him. That is their decision. This cornerstone, he says in verse 8, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. So again, Peter's just, he's jumping into like Old Testament quotations from Psalm 118, Isaiah 26. He's throwing this out there, but framing it out for his listeners who were believers, just a good reminder, he's the chief cornerstone. And what is a blessing for you? 
and it's not so much for other people, just because they don't want anything to do with him. They don't want anything to do with him. They reject him. That's how it is. He goes on to say after that, the stumble and the fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. So they meet the faith that was planned for them. That may seem harsh or difficult for us to process, especially in the day and age in which we live, where everybody gets like a trophy for everything. Christianity and heaven, God doesn't give everybody on this planet a participation trophy. In the end of it all, it's not like God's like, well, you know, you didn't really believe in me. You rejected me, flat out rejected me many times. But, you know, I just, I'm feeling generous today. I'm going to let you in. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. If that's how it worked, then Jesus is a liar. And then I have issues with that because Jesus is not a liar. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me, but through me. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I'm the door. That means that there is one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. Here, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is, he's this living cornerstone. And people will either receive that or... They'll be destroyed by that, so to speak. It's their choice. And here, Peter, again, I just want to keep everything in context. He's writing to believers who are going through difficult times. He's like, Christ is the cornerstone. You're a part of this building? Absolutely. But let's not forget, he is the most important piece of this whole thing. And for those who reject him, they reject him. They re- and again, for you and I, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Okay? Even Christ said that to his followers. But so Peter uses that as like, this is who you are. Now, there are other people, they reject Jesus, and, and he's a stumbling block to them and all that good stuff. But, but that's them. But that's not who you are. This is, let me bring you back. This is who you are. And he even does that. He says, uh, but you are not like that, verse 9, right? So he, he makes this differentiate, differentiation between this group and that group. Yes, there are some who reject Jesus, and he's a stumbling stone to them and all that good stuff. Yeah, they're, they're disobedient to the word of God. That's, where, that's why they are the way they are. They don't want to receive the word. They don't want to receive the truth. That's how they are. Well, who are those people? You and I don't know, okay? We don't know. You can't do that thing where it's like, well, I don't want to share the gospel with somebody who God maybe hasn't chosen to be saved. You don't know that. You have no idea. None of us are walking around with labels, right? Chosen before the foundation of the world. Okay, well, then I don't even have to share with you because you're already chosen, right? Isn't that our Calvinist friend's philosophies sometimes, right? It's like, well, no, then, no, he's called us to share the gospel with anybody and everybody, okay? The sorting at the end, that's his business. That's not your business. That's not my business. And we're ambassadors, which means we represent him, which means he has the plan. He has the vision. He's the boss. We just show up for work, what do you want me to do today? I want you to share with that person. Well, there might be a chance, Lord, that you've already predestined them from the foundation of the world to be one of your own. He's like, would you just share the gospel with that person, please? You are not on my level. And that's what we need to realize. Our ways are not his ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That means that we are not on the same level as he is. Okay, we're worker ants, so to speak, and it's just get out there and share the gospel. Some people are going to get mad. Let them get mad. That's not your business. Some people are going to, what, be made to stumble over the chief cornerstone? Yeah, he said that was going to happen. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. They stumble. If they stumble because of that, well, they're disobedient to the word of God. He says, you're not like that. You're a chosen people. 
You're a royal priest. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. So this is like, man, you talk about kind of reframing this back. Uh, Here's Peter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's like, but you're not like those guys. You may have once were those guys, but that's not who you are today. No, let me remind you of who you are today. And this list sounds like the Jews, but it's not the Jews. It's this new race that God created called Christians. It's neither Jew nor Gentile. Why? Well, there's because believers in Christ are Christians. Can you be a Jewish Christian? Of course you can. Can you be a Gentile Christian? Of course you can, right? The point is, is that there's this new thing that he has created, so to speak. And he's like, you're a chosen people, just like the Jews were chosen, chosen as a holy nation, set apart, used by God to confound this world, that little bitty place on this planet, and those people he has used tremendously. Well, even Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, you're, look, just the fact that God has chosen to use you is going to confound the wise. You're chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Set apart, technically, is what that means. You're God's very own possession. As a result of that, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. This is, is who you are. This is who you are. You can't go stumble around in the darkness anymore because he's rescued you from that. You can't go back. And again, that's, we've been going through this. The tendency within persecution or difficult times within Christianity is we want to go back. We want to run back. To what? To what? To emptiness? To joylessness? To a lack of hope? To no peace at all? What do you want to go back to? What do you think is waiting for you back there? What in the world do we think is waiting for us back there that is so good that it's better than Jesus? We've all experienced being part of the world before Christ, I think, unless you got saved as like a little kid, which praise God for that. That's the the coolest testimony ever. But I think we all have an experience of walking in darkness. What is better there than Jesus? Nothing, nothing. But my flesh, man, it wants to go back. It wants to go back. And this is weird psychological kind of thing where when stress happens, for human beings, we look for ways to alleviate the stress. Our bodies is kind of like screaming out for ways to like, you know, the, your chemicals in your body are, are they're too high and, and you got to find some sort of, you know, outlet, you know, some to, to release this tension that, that's building up inside of your body. And, and that's oftentimes part of our struggle is we want to go back to fleshly things to find relief from growing tension within ourselves. But as believers in Christ, you can't go back. In fact, there's no relief found in those things. In fact, what we've discovered, and even, you know, scientists have discovered, is like when you go back to those bad things, it just compounds the stress that you were trying to get rid of. And here's the Lord saying, like, I could have told you that. Just come to me. Come to me. But when I go to you, Lord, I don't always get immediate relief. And he's like, I know. It's discipline. You got to keep coming back. Remember how this passage started. You keep coming back to Jesus. You keep coming back to him. 
You've been called out of darkness into what? Not just his light, his wonderful light. His wonderful light. Warm, welcoming, comforting light. If you've ever been in a completely dark room, I mean completely dark room, it is uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, right? You know, because I, you, if, if you're like me, I was, you know, born and raised on horror movies and all that good stuff. No, you know, whatever. But it's just what I was exposed to. Uh, everything is, everything's making a noise, right? In the darkness, you're like, oh, I don't know what that is, but that's probably something bad, right? You know, and just <laughs> you're seeing things and you're hearing things and it's just uncomfortable. It's completely, it's just, it's not where we belong. It's not where we belong. And God's like, I've called you out of that into light, into me. I'm the light of the world. He's called you into his presence where there's warmth, where there's comfort, where there is no fear. There is no worry, no need to worry. That's where he's called us to be. We're his own possession. You are his own possession. You need to know that in this room, individually, you need to understand how God sees you as his own personal possession. You're his. You're his. You feel alone in this world? You belong to somebody. His name is Abba, the Father. And he loves you more than, well, number one, no slight to any your significant other or anything like that. He loves you more than anybody else in your life. He loves you. He loves you. He absolutely loves you. He I don't want to say adores you. That seems like a weird word. Um, I don't want to put too much on us, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you're still a rock. Let's go back to that. Remember, you're still just a rock? Okay, cool. Um, Because you're like, oh, I'm like the best thing ever. You're not the best thing ever. Um, You're in a room of rocks. Uh, We're all just rocks. And God's like, I really love those rocks, okay? That's, let's keep it there. He adores you as a rock, right? Okay, there you go. Um, But you're his own possession. You're his. You're his. You belong to him. But the reason you belong to him or part of the the why within this thing is so that you display his works or you display his glory. Okay? It's not a selfish thing. It's comforting, yes, but he's called us out of darkness into light. He's called us as his own possession, as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's done all of that for us, for us to display his goodness to other people. That's the why. That's the why. You have been saved. Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. Part of the reason for that is so that you would display the goodness of God to other people. So we really got to get away from this thing where, and it's, look, we have no control over some of this stuff, but the world views the church as hateful. It does. It does. And it's going to. Let's not pretend like Oh, if we just put on this good front, then they'll eventually they'll like us. They're probably not going to like us. Um, but there's this false notion that the church is just filled with bitterness and hatred and, and all this stuff. And it's, but we know that that's not true. Well, how do we combat that? Go out there and live for God. Go out there and live for him. Show them, like, no, I'm a Christian. But you're talking to me nice and you're treating me respectful. And as a person, you're like, yeah, because well, you're, you're a person. You're made in God's image, just like I'm made in God's image. And I don't know your business. I don't know your story, but I'm going to talk to you like a, like a human being decently. And they could even be somebody who's completely on the other side of the aisle from you as far as 
political stances or religious stances. Like maybe they're a devout satanic worshiper, as if those things exist. But you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, Satan worshipers don't actually believe in Satan, right? Okay, maybe sometimes. Um, no, I've talked to some of them. It's, a, it's an interesting bunch of people. But you can have conversations with people who are enemies and be nice and respectful to them. And then you leave that conversation and they're like, what is wrong with that person? You're not like a Christian that what I'm used to. And that happens a lot. And I think the more we go out there and we live for him and we, we stand firm on truth. We stand firm on truth. We don't compromise. It's truth in love. People are looking for that. People will respect that. Not everybody will be on your team. Not everybody will appreciate you or anything like that. But in my own personal experience, people are looking for that from Christians. You have the opportunity to speak truth into their lives and you go for it. You go for it, absolutely. But you still do it in a respectful way. He's called us to represent him. The last little bit of this, he says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people, right? Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And this mercy new every morning. How much mercy do you need? Well, he's got it, okay? He's got you covered on the mercy department, right? Not giving to you what you deserve. Well, that's it. When you think of it like that, that's, that kind of changes things, right? You're like, yeah, I like mercy. You know what mercy means, right? He's holding back what you actually deserve. That's mercy. You're like, oh, <laughs> how much do I deserve? I don't, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, maybe not. But God is his, his grace where he pours out in abundance what you haven't earned. Mercy is he holds back from you probably what you do deserve. It's amazing. This last little bit, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, here's Peter to his audience. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, this place is not your home. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls, your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. All the worst witness is a worldly witness. The worst witness is a worldly witness. The worst witness from the church is a worldly witness. You're not doing the church any favors. You're not representing God. You're called to live a life that's set apart, that's chosen, that's holy, and all that good stuff. Not holier than thou, right? You're not better than anybody else, but you are called a set apart. And you should live differently. You should speak differently. You should behave differently. Absolutely. Especially among your unbelieving neighbors right? You have to. There's no like, hey, I don't know. I don't want to really make anybody upset, uh, but maybe if you could. No, that's not what he's saying. Amongst your unbelieving neighbors, number one, keep away from your worldly desires, those desires that are in you, fleshly desires. Say no to those things. Remember, climb on the altar because there is a war happening inside of you. Billy Graham used to say it's that White dog, black dog, right? That like good versus evil with inside you. And they're just fighting. Two dogs fighting inside of you all the time. You say no to those worldly temptations, those worldly desires. Exercise self-control within your life. It's a fruit of the spirit. But be careful. Be mindful of how you live amongst your unbelieving neighbors. 
What are they seeing when they watch you? Are they seeing an example of Christ? Or are they seeing somebody who's like, I got my freedoms. I can do my stuff. Cool. Do you win anybody over to the Lord because of that? If not, you might want to check your freedoms. Because he didn't call you to, hey, you know what, James? I did all the work. Why don't you just enjoy your freedoms in Christ and all this stuff? I've had to lay aside freedoms that I have in Christ for the sake of my neighbors. What's worth more to you? Your freedoms or their salvation? Sometimes you've got to lay those things aside. Look, you deal with whatever you've got to deal with within your life, but I'm just saying, as Christians, we've got to represent. We just have to represent. It says, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Well, that's a good incentive, right? They're like, he's like, live honorably among your neighbors, be a good witness amongst your unbelieving neighbors, whatever that means. That could be at your workplace, that could be in your neighborhood, um, that could be anywhere you go, but you live as a witness, an example of how Christians ought to be. And then even if they accuse you of stuff, not your business, the Lord is your defense. And then in the end, they'll stand before God. And I don't know how all this plays out, but it seems like from that passage of scripture, they're like, yeah, you know, so-and-so was pretty good. Um, so-and-so did, you know, I was pretty rough on them or whatever. I may accuse them falsely of this or that. Um, but I can see in their behavior, their behavior, their conduct, they were representing you. Again, I don't know how any of that stuff really plays out, but I do know that God keeps account of all this stuff. And if you and I are his witnesses, his examples, then for, for us, it starts like this. Crawl onto that altar as a living sacrifice. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Say, so here I am. Here I am, Lord. You use me. You use me however you want. Because I'm just a stone. I'm just a stone in this, this building that is way bigger than what we think or what we can imagine. It expands borders, okay? We got... Other stones that are on this planet, they, they live in Africa, they live in China, they live in South America, they live in Europe, they're all over. And God is putting together these stones, building his temple, which is the church, capital C church. That's his deal. He's the cornerstone. And all he's doing is he's selecting you as a stone. He's like, all right, you represent me. Now don't blow it, right? And you're like, oh, I'm going to blow it. He's like, I know, but just represent me. Live for me. Demonstrate to your unbelieving neighbors how good God is, how good he is. And even if they accuse you of this or that, you know what? You just keep representing. You keep, you keep loving them. You keep loving them. That's a hard message for people who are going through and about to go through tremendous amounts of persecution. Where Peter is prompting them up saying, it's about to get really tough, but here's what God has called you to do. He chose you. He picked you. Now he wants you to live for him. In the midst of these neighbors who are going to be selling you out, selling you out, turning your name into the government so they can throw you into coliseums and fighting wild animals. We don't have it that bad, guys. We don't have it that bad. We have our own battles. But we have to start off, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Represent the Lord. Hope 
If you're at all familiar with the book of Job, then you can easily see how the book of 1 Peter ties into Job's experience of suffering. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You might ask, why aren't the unrighteous the ones that experience suffering and hardship? Why are those that want to follow God with all their hearts the ones that face trials? The truth is, it doesn't make sense to anyone who doesn't know God. But by knowing Him, you're willing to endure hard things, trusting that there's good ahead. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, with meekness and fear. So the next time you have an opportunity to share your testimony, make sure you include the fact that yes, you go through trials, but it's God working in and through you that gives you and others hope for the future. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. For those of you in the area, we would love to see you this Sunday. We meet every Sunday at 10 in the morning and every Thursday at 7 in the evening. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that laid-back atmosphere, you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad that you decided to spend your day with us. And we look forward to the next edition with you in the book of 1 Peter, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.